Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. Like always, remember that you can find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Pandora. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe. And I am on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So please go ahead and follow. I post pictures of organisms. So go ahead and follow. On the last episode, we went over, and when I say, I like to say we, but it's me. Uh, I went over tests for gram-negative cocci. I started talking about Moraxella cateralis. So when we talk about gram-negative cocci, we typically report it as gram-negative diplococci. So like I mentioned, it is two cocci together with adjacent sides flattened. They have a kidney or coffee bean shape. I talked about Moraxella cateralis, like I said. So in the textbooks, it is said that Moraxella cateralis is part of the respiratory flora. It is primarily seen in otitis media, sinusitis, and pneumonia. And I mentioned that I, I normally tend to see it in, in sinus cultures. So the colonies tend to be large and white, and then they slide over the agar when you touch them, which is called the hockey puck. Remember that. And I also mentioned now that the ASM, American Society for Microbiology, says that it is classified as a mucosal pathogen. Eventually, it will be updated on, on the textbooks. So when I was talking about gram-negative cocci, I went over the cateralis disc, right? So what is this test? Well, getting technical, Moraxella cateralis, it has an enzyme called butyrate, B-U-T-Y-R-A-T-E, esterase, which releases indoxyl from indoxyl butyrate. This produces an indigo color in the presence of oxygen. Very simple test, very similar to the microdase disc that I talked about for micrococcus. You place your disc on the slide, and then using a stick, you touch your colonies, and then you, you put the colonies on the disc, and you observe for a color reaction for two minutes. So a positive reaction equals a blue color in two minutes. Very simple test. Today, I want to go over tests and biochemicals for other gram-negative cocci. So now that you have the cateralis disc, disc down, um, so well, one of the biochemicals is oxidase. So you remember oxidase, right? If you want a refresher or if you want to learn more, please go ahead and check out episode 10 of this podcast. So Moraxella is oxidase positive, and so is Neisseria gonorrhea and other species of Neisseria. There'll be an episode for Neisseria, so we're just gonna briefly touch on it. So we have, let's talk about Neisseria gonorrhea. It is not part of the human flora. It is found during times of infection. It is the leading cause of sexually transmitted diseases, or STDs. Infections may include purulent urethritis, pharyngitis, cervicitis, 
and conjunctivitis. Then we have Neisseria meningitidis. This one, it colonizes the oropharyngeal and nasopharyngeal mucous membranes. People normally carry the organism without symptoms. And then we have other species of Neisseria that are normal flora of the upper respiratory tract. They, they can gain access to normally sterile sites, rarely associated with infections. And when these infections do occur, they can include bacteremia, endocarditis, and meningitis. So this group of the of Neisseria that are normally upper respiratory flora, they are known as NPN. NPN. November, Peter, November. Or non-pathogenic Neisseria. They tend to have a yellow color, and you see them in respiratory samples primarily. I mean, it is upper respiratory flora, so you do see it in respiratory samples primarily. So, as we are talking about tests for gram-negative cocci, I'm going to start talking about one that we learned about in school, right? The acid detection test. So, getting a little technical and talking about the test, it involves the use of cysteine tryptocase agar with 1% of a carbohydrate, of a sugar. Uh, glucose, maltose, lactose, and sucrose. And then there's an indicator of fermentation. And can you guess which one? Well, if you're thinking about phenol red, then you're definitely right. So we see our friend phenol red again. So when acid is produced due to fermentation, like we know, the medium, like we have discussed before with the phenol red, is going to change from red to yellow. So different species of Neisseria, they ferment different sugars. For example, Neisseria gonorrhea ferments glucose, Neisseria meningitis, glucose and maltose, Neisseria lactamica, glucose, lactose, and sucrose. So if you're seeing where I'm going with this, typically when you're a student, the way to remember that was, so you started with Neisseria gonorrhea, and then you had, okay, so you were like Neisseria gonorrhea. So gonorrhea starts with a G. So glucose, it ferments only glucose. And then you move to meningitis, it starts with an M. So it ferments glucose and maltose. So, right, so you start with Neisseria gonorrhea because of the G, only glucose, and then you move on. And then the next species ferments the glucose from the, the, the previous species does, plus the one with the letter of the name. So meningitis, glucose, and maltose. Like I said, uh, Neisseria lactamica, glucose, lactose, and sucrose. So that was the way to remember it. Uh, that's the way to remember it in school. However, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which is the CDC, this test is no longer recommended. You know, it is a test for fermentation, so it doesn't work well for oxidative Neisseria species. And then some strains do not grow well. So the bottom line for this is that this test can produce inaccurate results. You know, some of the species are serious. For example, you know, like Neisseria gonorrhea can have legal implications, such as abuse, 
So we have to make sure that we do produce a good ID. It tends to be an unreliable test, so you want to make sure that you don't identify the wrong species of Neisseria. So what other tests can we use then? Well, here's where molecular plays a big role. We have nucleic acid methods such as the Cobas Amplicor and Hologic Genprobe Aptima combo. You know, you also have methods like a PCR method such as the Gene Expert for the Cepheid, the CTNG, um, and you don't have to grow the organisms for for these. You know, you can get you collect if it's a typically if it's a male patient. You collect urine. If it's a female patient, you collect urine or a or a genital swab, and then you place that swab in a special media. I know, like for the gene for the cepheid, it has its own transport media. If it's urine, it has its own urine preservative. That it's better to you know recover a, a an optimal result rather than just testing it directly from the cup which for the gene expert CTNG, you can actually test it without adding it to that container. But bottom line is that you don't have to grow the organism. You can just go ahead and test it. And then you typically get results within like two hours. You have to keep in mind that depending on the facility that you work on, I haven't had much exposure to the COBAS, but I have worked with the with the gene expert for with the CTNG test for the gene expert. And depending on the facility, you can have the infinity, which can process about I think it's like 42 samples. Whereas you can get a regular a regular gene expert, which it can process about 16. Depending on the hospital, sometimes you know all the modules might not be open, so you can have maybe four, maybe eight. There's a smaller one that can, I think, can run four, and the smallest one can run two. So depending on the facility that you work on, the result might take a little bit longer if you have a smaller instrument, of course. And then there are also cases like, for example, like in this pandemic, where some companies, they started focusing on, on making tests for COVID, and then the production on other tests was delayed. And then they started being on back order, and that was a big issue with the CTNG for the for the Cepheid. Like it used to be in back order because the same type of cartridge that they use, it was the same one that was being used for to produce the COVID test. So there were huge delays, and sometimes you know large facilities tests were backed up for days because for this particular platform, it is stable for like. I think it's like 30 to 45 days. So that's a long time where they're getting their supplies. And also another thing to keep in mind is that it may be your hospital is smaller and they have to send their test to a larger hospital. So transport time, delayed volume. These are all factors, but in optimal conditions, you will get your test results in less than two hours. So it's very simple, you know, the patient goes to the hospital with symptoms, a sample is collected, then it is tested via these methods. So besides, and when I, I, I said uh, CTNG, which is for, you know, chlamydia and gonorrhea, Neisseria gonorrhea. 
So typically they are tested for both. Normally you don't just test for the one. And then you have PCR methods for blood and spinal fluid, where you can check for Neisseria gonorrhea, Neisseria meningitis. So what else do we have besides molecular tests? Well, once the organisms have grown on media, they can be ident identified using other commercial methods. Of course, you know, such like the Vitek, your Molditov, Rapid NH, and API NH. You know, there's also an auger that aids in the recovery of Neisseria gonorrhea and meningitis. And this is, uh, these, are, these are called MTM and Martin Lewis. So let's start with MTM. What's MTM? Well, MTM is a modified third mark. It is basically a, a chocolate auger with some other things added. Well, let's start with why chocolate auger. Well, as you know, chocolate auger, it's an enriched auger. So it helps a lot of organisms to grow better or to grow basically at all like Haemophilus, you know, with the X and V factors. So not all species of Neisseria, they actually grow on blood agar. You know, the non-pathogenic Neisseria, they do grow on blood agar and they grow well. Moraxella cateralis, as far as gram-negative cocci, grows on blood agar. Uh, meningitis doesn't grow on blood agar. And then Neisseria gonorrhea, it does grow on blood agar, but it grows uh, very weakly. So, of course, you know, there's always exceptions, so you can have a strain that might grow a little bit stronger. But typically that's not the case, which makes it challenging, especially when you're on the urine bench, because you don't have chocolate on the urine bench. You know, you have urine cultures is blood and McConkie. So when you have it there and it's growing so weakly, you do your gram stain and you're like, oh, gram negative diplococci. And you're like, should I call them? Should I not? In that point, just sub it to a chocolate plate and see how it grows. Just to make sure that you have something pure, that you don't have anything mixed. And make sure that it's to see if that's an Xeria gonorrhea. Also check the patient's history. Make sure that maybe there was a PCR done or uh, for nice gonorrhea and chlamydia. So that will help you support what you're seeing. But bottom line is, yeah, it doesn't grow as healthy on blood agar. When you have a, a source that's genital and you need to rule out Neisseria gonorrhea, you need to have at least a chocolate. And then, depending on the facility, you add an MTM or a Martin Lewis. Maybe you might use both, depending on where you work. So going back to MTM or modified Thayer Martin. So it is an enriched and selective medium for the isolation of Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitis. Can you guess what the enrichment portion is? Well, it is the chocolate auger. And then the selective portion is antibiotics. So let's go over them. You have cholestine, vancomycin, nystatin, and trimethoprim. So maybe you students out there, can you guess? Microbiologists, do you know? Well, cholestine, it is used to inhibit gram-negative bacteria. Uh, vancomycin, of course, gram-positive bacteria. That's what you use to treat like MRSA or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Nystatin is to inhibit yeast and trimethoprim is to inhibit the swarming of Proteus. 
Proteus is not going to swarm, but however, technically it can grow on MTM because Proteus and its family, like Morganella, Providencia, they are intrinsically resistant to cholestine. And what's an intrinsic resistance? You know, it's a natural resistance that they have. So you cannot treat the organism with that antibiotic because it's, it's naturally resistant to it. Like, let's say, like Klebsiella being resistant to ampicillin. So that's what you have for modified Thayer Martin. So keep in mind that, like I like to say, these organisms, they do not go to school. So you can have, you can have some growth. So they're selective for Neisseria gonorrhea and meningitis. But you can have other organisms maybe grow to a lesser extent, of course. But they can. And one thing as I was teaching and I saw that Moraxella cateralis actually grows, grows well. And then we have also Martin Lewis. So Martin Lewis is a modification of Thayer Martin. So what's in here? What's the modification? Well, instead of nystatin, there is ansamycin. And also there is a higher concentration of vancomycin. So this is used for the selection and isolation of Neisseria gonorrhea. So you're on the during the processing area, you receive a sample of genital source. Typically, of course, already from the setup, you have a, if you have like a gonorrhea culture, you can have a chocolate and a Martin Lewis or a chocolate and MTM, depending on the facility. But let's say if they order a wound culture, but the source is genital, then you will go ahead and add a Martin Lewis or an MTM. Because you know these things are not are not set in stone. So you have yeah you know your provider your providers orders a gonorrhea culture from any source, and then of course you know you set up your chocolate, you set up your Martin Lewis or your M and your MTM. Um, but sometimes you know they do they order a regular wound culture, which the standard setup is uh, blood chocolate McConkey maybe BEA, anaerobes if the source indicates it, but then they, they put, a, let's say, a wound culture and then source is vaginal or source is genital. So in that case, you will do your standard setup, blood chocolate McConkie, and then you will add a Martin Lewis just to make sure that you rule out Neisseria, especially considering the source. If you have a vaginal source, normally you have enterobacteriales as part of the flora so maybe that McConkie, that chocolate that McConkie can get pretty full sometimes and then you have your chocolate plate there's a lot of genital flora so it can grow you know a lot of cocci by using this plate you're giving that nice cereal gonorrhea if it's there a, a better chance of recovery so that's what you will use it so based on the source so this is one of those things that you always have to use your your judgment and your knowledge to make decisions like this. You're like, okay, it's not a gonorrhea culture. This typical setup doesn't have this particular plate, but you do add it. And that's something that's very normal in the microbiology field. But you know, I know like sometimes that might differ from other areas of the lab. Basically other areas like in the core lab, you have your SOPs, you follow that procedure. And then with micro, we have our procedures for different cultures but then if a source it's something where you know that there's this pathogen 
and that typical culture setup doesn't have that agar, then you go ahead and add it just to make sure that you give that organism an optimal chance to grow. Like I said, you know, a genital source, many bacteria there. So by throwing in the Martin Lewis or that MTM, you're giving that organism not only a chance, but then you are also successfully ruling it out. And that way you don't miss it. And of course, this is always about the patient. So we make sure that we send out there, you know, the best information. So now that we have, so we have learned about two more augers that are selective. So in previous episodes, you know, we talk about McConkie, selective for gram-negative rods, differential for lactose fermentation. We talked about Hectone, XLD, selective for gram-negative rods, differential for lactose fermentation and H2S production for Hectone and XLD. And then for this one is selective for Neisseria gonorrhea on Martin Lewis, and then modify Thayer Martin for Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitis. So there you have two more sets of agar that you learn. So now, knowing that you microbiologists, I tell you this, you have a McConkie, you have a blood, you have a chocolate, you have a Martin Lewis, and you have a PEA. Does it matter the order that you streak them? Well, we have learned that it does, right? The order of streaking is always from least selective to most selective because you want to make sure that you don't transfer any of that selective material to the next plate, potentially inhibiting the growth of the organisms. So given those plates, what's the order of streaking? Remember, always from least selective to most selective. So of course you will have blood, chocolate, PEA, McConkie, and then Martin Lewis, um, an MTM or either or, but blood, chocolate, PEA, McConkie, and Martin Lewis or MTM. So just to recap, in addition to the cateralis disc, which is helpful for the for Moraxella cateralis, we use oxidase for gram-negative cocci or diplococci. And then here, molecular tests, they play a big role. Like typically for gonorrhea, you do a PCR. And then also depending for mostly for genital sources. And then from other sources, uh, providers like to order the culture. So in micro, I mean, gonorrhea, we can, in the bacteriology side, we can go ahead and process it. I mean, like I said, a chocolate, a Martin Lewis, and basically any source we can perform that culture on. So molecular cultures, and of course, you know, you have these two plates that will help in the isolation of Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitis. Because the other Neisserias, the NPN, NPN, they're normally normal respiratory flora, but at the same time, they tend to grow in regular blood and chocolate agar, and they grow well. So there you have it. Some information on gram-negative cocci. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about tests and biochemicals for gram-negative diplococci. 
I sure enjoy talking about them. Like always, please continue staying safe, continue staying motivated, bring that passion into work. You know, just be passionate, produce the best results you can. That way you have the best outcome for your patients. But such an important work, it's best to do it motivated. That way you can get it through the piles of plates. And like I said, produce the best results. So please stay safe, stay motivated, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.